Here we go. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Look at somebody next to them. You are God's building. Come on, they want to hear that. Tell, tell the person on the other side. Tell them you are God's building. I almost named this message Brick House. But I did not. Because I felt that was a little too ratchet for church. If you're sitting next to your wife, I gotta clarify. Look next to you, just say, You are God's brick. Verse 10, verse 10, verse 10, verse 10. Come on, you heathens, let's go. Verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one, he said, be careful how you build. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare. It's so hard to read this and not preach it while I read it. Paul said everything that glitters ain't gold. A grass is not greener on the other side. Hey, you got to build it. And as you look at it, it may look great, but just because they look great doesn't mean what they built will last. He said, here's what's going to happen because it's going to be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet the, the old folks used to say by the skin of his teeth, <laughs> At, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you, that you're God's house, that's your, his construction project, that you're his church. This is not the church. This is the church. He said, you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells inside of you. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this opportunity to be in your presence. God, we will build our life. God, upon the love that you demonstrated on that cross. God, we've gathered in rooms all over Maryland, all online in Charlotte. God, for one reason. Not to hear good singing or entertaining preaching. God, to encounter you. God, because when you show up, everything changes. So God, we're praying that you would meet each and every one of us right where we are. And God, when you speak, we will obey. Also, God, it's week one of NFL season. We're not really worried. We play the Jets today. They're horrible. But God, if you could put your favor on the Ravens all year long would be grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. Just in case you're wondering what kind of church this is, this is a black and purple church. See a couple heathens walking around with Steelers paraphernalia. We will get you saved by the end of the service, don't you? Some of you are offended by the fact that I pray over football. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Maybe if you Commanders fans prayed more, you'd win more. I'm just saying, try it. It might work. I'm in trouble already. Y'all, it's Welcome Home Sunday. There's so much stuff that's happening today. Today is the 11th anniversary of Union Church. Come on now. Year 11, I became the senior pastor of my dad's church in 2011, and you'll know the story if you don't read it online. A lot has happened, but God has been faithful over these last 11 years. It's also the memorial of 9-11. We will never forget those amazing men and women, those first responders that, that literally laid their life down on one of the most tragic days in our nation's history. So much to remember, but bigger than that, it's a day that every single person is going to have home to find in the kingdom of God. Amen.
You, you may not know this because we're in Maryland. It doesn't really affect us much, but we're smack dab in the middle of hurricane season. I feel like God made it feel like a hurricane outside in Maryland just to illustrate my message today because it was pouring rain all day. But we're right dab in the middle of hurricane season. It means nothing in Maryland. We get a little bit more rain, but we don't get hurricanes up here. But if you live in Florida, Louisiana, or Texas, you have marked on your calendar. These are crazy weeks. Be careful. Watch the news. You never know when you got to get out of town because hurricane season is just unbelievable. Now, you have category one hurricanes that are not much more than a, a thunderstorm. A little bit of rain, a little bit of wind, no big deal. But you have all the way up to a category five hurricane that is over 175 miles per hour of wind and storm. And, and they have caused billions of dollars of damage. So much loss of life. It's just kind of something that people who live in those states, they kind of just live with that reality. Now, if you're new to Union Church, you're going to pick up really fast. I love God. I am a man of integrity. I'm also a little bit ignorant, so I say things sometimes that I shouldn't say, but that's okay because Jesus still loves me. I don't understand if you live in the middle of Hurricaneville. Why do you live there? It's a very big country. There are other great places to go to. Why are you in the middle of every year? You're digging holes in the ground. You're driving. We don't want you in Maryland. Either come and stay or stay where you I don't. I don't get it. Until you talk to people in Florida and they're like, do you know why I live in the middle of Hurricaneville? Do you see that view? Do you have ocean where you live? You've heard people say, a view worth dying for? Literally. You go to Louisiana. Why do you people live down here? And they look back at you. Have you ever eaten our gumbo? If you had, y'all, if you had gumbo from New Orleans, you would live in the middle of Hurricaneville too. And etouffee and crawfish. And I'm talking, somebody just cut the Holy Ghost right there. You go down to Texas. Why do y'all live in the middle of Hurricaneville? They'll say one word. Oil. We're here because we're rich. It's worth it. I don't get it. I want to be there. Actually, last week, and this is kind of where the whole thought came from, I was visiting a friend who has a house. Like, if hurricanes hit here every year, their house is there. Like, I mean, smack dab in the middle of Hurricane Bill. And you know, you see friends make certain purchases, do certain things, and, and, and you're thinking, you're an idiot. And, um, <laughs> but it's not your money, it's not your decisions. You go, oh, wow. You bought a house where? How many hurricanes hit every year? Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, the view, the view is beautiful. Yeah. And you're just thinking of your brother, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm at this person's house, and I'm, and I'm just like, all right, you got to level with me. Why in the world would you live, I mean, ocean views amazing, but where hurricanes hit every single year? They said 1.1 million. I said 1.1 million what? Pounds of cement is in the foundation of my home. Just in case you were wondering, 2,000 pounds equal one ton. I can't even tell you how many tons are in 1.1 million. They have 1.1 million pounds of cement in the foundation of this home. Not only that, their, their home is three stories, but the first story is nothing but cement stilts. The living quarters are the second and the third floor. They said there is so much cement in my house that a Category 5 hurricane would have to park on top of my roof and spend five hours there for any damage to happen to my house. They thought I was impressed. I was like, that's a possibility. Like, <laughs> actually, it's the day I'm not coming over. <laughs> so not only that, because our house is built this way, there can be 20 feet of flood water and nothing will be damaged. And are you ready for the message? Stephen, it doesn't matter where you build. It matters how you build. Come on out. Because if you build it the right way, it doesn't matter where it is, it'll stand. And if you build it the wrong way, it doesn't matter how breezy and beautiful it is. At some point, it will rot and it will crumble. 
says, Stephen, it's not about the situation or the circumstance or the location. It's about the quality of the build. First Corinthians chapter three, Paul is writing to the church. He's admonishing the church. And there's two things that we can get out of first Corinthians chapter three. The first thing Paul said is this, everything in life must be built. There is no such thing as an overnight success. You ever seen somebody that just had an amazing marriage? or their finances were blessed, or they were having great influence or impact and all that, and you feel like they came out of nowhere because you just found out about them. You may have just found out about them, but that overnight success was 10 plus years in the making. One of my mentors, he was a pastor. He's been married for over 40-something years, and he was preaching somewhere, and he, he, I, I went with him. And he was, you know, mid-60s. He's been married probably 43 years, something like that. It was about a six-hour drive. Every two hours, this man called his wife. Hey, babe, what are you doing? What am I doing? Driving. What you cooking for dinner? Oh, I wish I could come. I'm like, what are you, 12? Every two hours, three hours into the trip, he says, Steve, I'm going to get off here. I'm like, we're not there yet. He said, I know, but I got to get my wife something. Like, she don't want nothing. Like, let's just go. We got there. He preached, and then he found out he didn't have to preach last night that he thought he had to preach. Yo, at 8 o'clock at night, it's a six-hour drive. He says, Stephen, pack up. We're driving back. I'm like, we're not going to get back till like 2 in the morning. He said, that's all right, but I want to spend another night away from my wife. 43 years. Of I said, you're whooped, but... um. Some of us ain't like that after four years of marriage. <laughs> Anything that's amazing, it's built. It's time. There's energy. Come on, Columbia. There's intensity. There's arguments. And there's makeup sessions and makeout sessions. And any wealth that is built is built over time. Any influence, any reputation, any faith that is built is built over time. Paul said, everything in life worth having is built. The second thing is this, be careful how you build, because not all building is the same. Just because it's going up doesn't mean it's going up correct. Paul said, be careful. And he said, here's why, because everything in life, you will encounter a storm. I, I, I have one guarantee for you. There will be storms in your life. I heard one preacher preach this. He said, you are either coming out of a storm, currently in a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm. How unencouraging is that? Let me be a little bit more positive. I am positive that you will have storms in your life. Here's what Jesus said. He said, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Life is full of storms. The only question is, have I built a life that can make it through a storm? In Matthew chapter 7, it talks about two type of builders. In verse 26, it says this. There's a foolish builder. This foolish man built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And man, was it a great fall. In fact, rewind to verse 24. It says this. There's a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. So the foolish man, he had beachfront property. He's like, wait, if y'all saw my ocean view, it'd blow your mind. What he didn't know is his ocean view was going to turn into his house being in the ocean when the storm hits. Do you know how difficult it is to dig into stone? Could you imagine how backbreaking and exhausting it was for the man who built his house on the rock to actually take the time to etch a foundation into that rock? But when that storm came, he had nothing to worry about. How we build our lives dictates whether we make it through that cancer diagnosis, 
whether we make it through that job loss or that foreclosure. And one of the things that I wonder as believers is, have we built a foundation that could last? This message actually came from a conversation that I had with a really, really close friend. And you you have some of those conversations, you forget about it as soon as you walk away. Like, that was a waste of three minutes of my life, and I'll never get that time back. That's... That's just a waste. Then you have other conversations. You're like, that's going to mark me. That's just, that's just God's hand on that. I was talking to one, one of my really, really good friends, and we were just catching up. Like, How's it going? And he said, if I'll be honest with you, I'm going through the worst storm that I've ever had in my life. So the last 18 months, pardon my French, but have been a living hell. He said, health crisis, business crisis, family crisis, employees losing their... He said, it's, it's just been... It's 18 months of misery. And I don't often ask this, but I, I, just, just, I just asked, I said, how's your faith doing? And it was a long pause. And they said, not, not good at all. So if I'd be honest with you, I feel like God has abandoned me. And I don't know, really know where I stand with God. And if I'd get even more honest, they said, I have not been back to church since church closed in the pandemic, since 2020, almost three years ago. And they said, I, I told myself I didn't go back because of the health crisis, and I don't want to get vaccinated, masks and all that. He said, but if I'd be honest, that's not why I haven't been back. I haven't been back because I don't know where I stand with God. I'm telling you, as, as he was talking, my heart was just exploding. You got to understand, I'm a pastor, so I, I, I hear God and see messages in every single circumstance, and my heart just to me just explode for two reasons. One, because as he's talking, the Holy Spirit is just downloading, here's the solution. Here's why you are where you are. And the other thing that my heart was exploding was like, I know your story is not just your story. I know there's thousands of people. It may not be the pandemic that threw you off your game. It might have been cancer. It might have been that divorce. It might have been that foreclosure or that city change. But so many people, you've been through a storm, and your whole life, especially your faith, is just reeling. It's like, it's not that I don't believe in God. I just don't know where I stand. Hey, let's rebuild today. Is that all right? Let me give you just three thoughts. Three thoughts. First one is this. If you can write this down. Write this down. A godly foundation is built. A godly foundation is built. Now, some of you guys are writing down. Some of you people are rebellious. Um, Grab your phone. Grab a pen. Write it down. I'm trying to help you out. I'm for you, not against you. Hear me. You have an 89% more likely chance to make it into heaven if you take notes in church. I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you out. God likes people who take those in church. Says so we're talking about statistics. By the way, 79% of statistics from pastors are made up. So you can take all of my statistics. For... Pray for me. If you're a parent of kids or, or you, you have kids coming, you ever been in the spot where you're just like, man, I want my children to experience how I grew up. There's just certain things, even though we may be a little bit better off now, or maybe doing a little bit more better than we were back in the day, I want to make sure my kids have, you know, we, we can have a real childhood. They, they, for example, I have a four-year-old son. His name is Roman. I cut his hair. Now, this boy walks out the house with a crooked shape up every single day of his life. I mean, hairline jacked up, and he's proud my daddy cut my hair. And I'm proud I cut that crooked head, I tell you. And his mom is horrified. She's just like, why can't we just take him to the barber? Why, why you got to cut? My daddy cut my hair. and My granddaddy cut my daddy's hair. It's a Chandler tradition. I'm going to cut that boy's hair. I turned out all right. Look how I turned out. Then my wife starts calling the barber. Can you please come save Here, when your dad cuts your hair, you get a job by 13. Just so you could afford to go get your own haircut. Any of y'all grew up where they would like put you in a onesie? You know the little onesies that had the feet on it? And you put a one-year-old, a five-year-old, a 15-year-old, just it didn't matter. It's just a, well, the way I grew up is you never outgrew that onesie. Come on, you just cut the feet off. And if you cut the feet off, you could just grow into that thing. And I mean, it became capri pants. So I got my kids some onesies. Yo, they hadn't even outgrown it yet. I cut the feet off. I just, 
We're just going to prepare for your growth so you could just... My wife's looking at us like, boy, you've got a problem. I'm just like, I want my kids to go through things. I want... One of my favorite parts of my childhood was playing with Legos. I would just build Legos all the time. So I was like, I'm going to get my four-year-old, six-year-old, and one-year-old like a 5,000-piece Lego set. And we're going to build Legos together. So we went to the store. We, we picked out a Lego set. Thing. We go, Daddy's going to build us a Lego set. They were pumped. They were excited till we got home and opened. That stupid Lego set. Yo, Legos, I brought one. Legos ain't what they used to be, y'all. It used to be like 12 pieces, you know, a one sheet. No, they, they, they come individually packaged. Y'all, I'm not done. They even label the packages, package one, package two, still going. It used to have like a one-sheet direction manual, right? Now it comes with a Lego Bible. I'm like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and they still have no words, just pictures. Like, I'm supposed to find this piece out of 4,000. This is just the Old Testament. Here comes the Gospels. Here's Acts, Hebrews, Revelations. I mean, it's a whole thing for a, for a fire station. <laughs> After about 20 minutes, the kids are like, Danny, we don't want to build Legos anymore, but we want you to finish it so we can play with it. We're going to go watch. It's like three weeks later. Now the pieces are gone. You go out in the middle of the night to turn the lights off. You step on one of them pieces and shout out words that Jesus died on the cross to forgive. I mean, like this should not be this complicated. Give me four pieces and I should be good. building your faith is complicated. Somebody told you, hey, come to church, pray this prayer, and you're good. You're like, all right, I ain't going to hell. I know I'm ratchet, so let me go pray this prayer, and I'm good. Hear me. You can pray a prayer and maybe make it into heaven, but you can't pray a prayer and make it through the loss of a loved one. That's, that's not a faith that's built to make it through a storm. That's like fire insurance, like get out of hell free card. What I realized is if I'm going to have a faith that's going to last, I've got to build this thing. And I've got to know how to build it. First Corinthians, in verse 10, Paul said this. He said, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as, here's what Paul said. He said, I am a wise master builder. Paul said, I don't build buildings, I don't build highways, I build people. And he said, I've laid the foundation, and another's going to build on it. Watch what he said. He said, but be careful. Build with intention. He said, take heed how you build on it, for no other foundation anyone can lay that which is laid other than Jesus. Paul said, be careful how you build your marriage, how you build your finances, how you raise your... Be intentional. There's a way to build. And there's a way to build your faith. There's three relationships that Jesus wants to have with you. A lot of people, you've never even heard, there's three relationships that Jesus wants to have with you. The first one is this, Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Because you, you have a lot of people in your life, but at some point, you're going to get into something that those people can't save you out of. God says, I want to be a friend that's closer to you than family is. Jesus wants to be a friend. Jesus wants to be your father. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. He says, I will proclaim the Lord's degree. He said to me, you are my son. I have become your it goes on in the next verse to say, ask of me anything, even if it's the nations, and I will give it to you as your inheritance. Now, I know we're in 2022, so I hey, you need to be a son of God. And all the women are like, I ain't going to be no son of God. I'm going to be a daughter of God. I'm a daughter of the most high. Get out of here. Catch up, buddy. 
When the Bible talks about son, don't think gender, think position. And in biblical times, the oldest son was the patriarch after his father. He would re receive two-thirds of his dad's inheritance, not because he was his dad's favorite, but because it was his responsibility to care for the entire family if dad passed away. So when it says, hey, we're sons of God, don't think gender, think God is passing to me the responsibility of the firstborn son. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your father. He wants to be your Lord. Psalm 23, one says this, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who leads me and God's what? And when God is leading me, there's nothing in my life that I'm going to want that I don't have. Can we stop rewriting the Bible? Here's how we read that verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not need. The Lord will provide for all of my needs. Well, what do you need? Clothes, roof, food. You good. So because he's not the Lord of our life, as long as we got clothes, roof, food, we're like, I don't need God. God said, no, no. I never said I want to lead you into all your needs. I want to take you to the place where there's nothing that you hear me. Show me a Christian that is a friend of God, that is a son of God, and has God as the Lord of their life. I'm going to show you the most dangerous person to walk this planet. Here's what the Bible says about that person. It says, I has not seen nor ear heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store for that type of person. You have God as your friend. God is your father. God is your Lord. You're going to find yourself walking into rooms that you're like, I don't even know how I ended up here. This must be God. You're going to find yourself with influence that your resume does not back up. You're going to find yourself with a joy that surpasses all understanding when you've built your faith correctly. Here's the problem. Just like in a house, it's foundation first, then the support, then the rooms, then the drywall, then the electrical, then the plumbing, then the HVAC, then the windows. And the, just like there's an order to build, there's an order to build your faith. It's not friend first, then son, then Lord. So I've got to make him the Lord of my life first. Then after he's my Lord, then he becomes my father. And after he becomes my father, then he becomes my friend. I, I, I had an illustration to show you. The last service, it was really scary to do it because my dad was sitting in the front row, but he's at the Baltimore County campus now, so I ain't scared of him no more. He can't, he can't, he can't beat me from Baltimore. I, should, I think I'm safe. I think I'm safe. I, I'm, I'm looking dead in the camera. I ain't scared of you, dad. <laughs> See you later today, though. I would like to say, now my dad ain't here. We're going to put him on Instagram and see if he verifies this, but I would like to say that me and my father are friends. We talk every single week. I mean, we, we laugh all the time. We play golf every single week. We're both horrible golfers. The only problem is only one of us knows that. The other one of us actually think they could play. Me and my father, I, you got to ask him, I think we're friends. But even though we're friends, never in my life, outside of the service before this one, have I called that man Ron. <laughs> I'm scared to get beat right now. He ain't even here. Think about it. If you have a parent that, 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 that you're in a great relationship, they're still alive, you, you love them, you're friends, you laugh, you joke. But unless you've lost your mind, Come on now. You ever look at your dad like, hey, Kevin, let's go. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. That's all right. You ever been in like, all this happens at Walmart, never Target. You ever been in Walmart and you heard some kid call their parent by their first name and you scared to get beat for them. You just like, you hiding behind a Tupperware. <laughs> you just, what? Why? Because we can be friends. But we can only be friends as long as you honor the fact that I'm your father. And there is no friendship without dishonor. Come on now. And long before I knew my father was my father, he was my Lord. <laughs> be home at nine o'clock. Or else. Or else what? I'm going to get the little Proverbs verse about spare the rod or spoil the child. I ain't going to spoil you, so. Come on now.
It's lordship that allows me to relate to God as a father. And it's sonship that allows me to relate to God as a friend. The union staff is amazing. They just really jacked up. They, they were about to scream because they didn't know that's where I was going. And I, I, I practiced my messages on them before I bring it to y'all, just in case it's all messed up. So I, I, I taught them this concept before I taught it to y'all. And one of my ratchet staff members, they, they said, Pastor, they said, Pastor, it's your fault. I'm like, okay, first of all, your mama. Second of all, okay, ex- ex- explain. He said, well, not your fault exactly, but the church's fault. I said, okay, explain. He said, I feel like you've lied to us. I was like, okay, now really explain. He said, I think the church is so anxious to get people saved that we only tell them about the friendship of God and we leave out the sonship and the lordship. It's like, we don't want people to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. So God loves you. God's for you. He has a great future for you. God's going to bless you. All true. But that's just not where your relationship with God begins. And he said, I think we're so anxious to get people into heaven that we're not telling them the whole story. And then there's a bait and switch. Now that you go to church, now that you say that you love God, by the way, he wants to be your father and he has to be your Lord. I don't know, it ain't my church, but I see what you're saying. Write this down. Your foundation affects everything. Your foundation affects it. My wife and I, and I like to say my wife because I like to throw her under the bus with me. It's not really her. It's really just me. We are serial house sellers. We've been married for nine years. We've moved five times. That's not even once every two years. At this point, we've stopped unpacking. We're like, let's just get the essential, grab your drawers, get the toothpaste, everything else, leave it in a box. We only going to be here. It's, it's like rental properties at this point. I just, I love real estate. I love investing. Bought my first one at 22 and we just, you know, and just this beautiful thing called equity. <laughs> Where if you buy it right and you renovate it, you could sell it for a lot more. It's like, why would I live here? There's so much. <laughs> and I always promise to find us something better and then we do it again. This time we're going to stay forever, babe, I promise. <laughs> At least until next week. Anyway, <laughs> if you've ever been house shopping, you've ever been looking for a house, I can guarantee you, you have never driven up to a house that you're thinking about renting or purchasing and said, wow, do, do you see that? Babe, look at the foundation. Oh my goodness. Look how it's poured all evenly. There's no cracks in it. Babe, that's a foundation worth living on. Never. Come on now. When you drive by a house, what do you say? Curb appeal. I got to get this. I need to see the open concept. Not too many walls. Not living here. Come on now. Wow, look at the governor's driveway. All the bay window. What's the acreage? You're looking at the aesthetics of the house. You could care less about the foundation. But let you buy a house. They got a faulty foundation. You ever dream about one of the houses where the entire front lawn is dug up? And you're like, you should have checked the foundation. It's going to be the most expensive day of your... I've been a Christian for decades. I don't often think, I wonder how my foundation in Christ is built. It's just not a thought that comes by your mind a lot. But hear me. Your foundation isn't built right. When that storm hits... You're going to really regret the fact that I didn't inspect the foundation. How do I know if my foundation of my faith is, is, is not built right? Well, well let, me, let, me, let me give you some thoughts. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, your life will lack direction. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does that mean? It means that he's the one that leads and guides your life. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a bad life if he's not the Lord of your life. It just, here, here's what, it, it's going to be meaningless. I go to work, it don't mean much. I'm raising kids, it's, they're great. I hope they turn out better than me. It's, I'm married, do you love them? I mean, what else do you want me to say? They're sitting right here, Yes. Do you want to be honest? Come on now. Huh? It's just, it's just the, 
the wealthiest person ever to live. He was the third king of Israel. His name was Solomon. Here's what he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. He said, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Now, you got to understand, he was the third king. He was the youngest son. He was just a little dramatic, okay? Here's what he said about life. He said, everything is meaningless. Bro, really? Everything? Have you been to a Ravens game? I mean, there are some things that add value to life. He said, no, everything. He said, completely meaningless. Then he goes on through the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, I'm not saying this because it's my opinion. He said, I've tested everything. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, I have also tried to find meaning. He said, here's how I did. He said, I built a huge house. He said, I've planted beautiful vineyards. I've made gardens and parks. I've filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. He said, I've built reservoirs to water and irrigate my many flourishing groves. Verse 7, he said, I've also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who lived in Jerusalem before me. He said, I've built homes. I've built gardens. I've built businesses. I've made money, all meaningless. Verse 8, he says this, I even got filthy rich. He said, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. He said, I've hired wonderful singers, both men and women. He said, I've been with every woman birth being with. He said, I had many beautiful concubines. What's a concubine? It's a biblical side chick. That's the word. Should I really help you, Sheldon? There was three Kims, Monique, LaShonda. All my ratchets were like, yeah. All the safe folks were like, I know, I know, I don't know what he's talking about. Don't Google it. And Solomon said, before there was DMX, there was me. He said, I had everything a man could desire. You go on to verse 18, look what he says. He said, I even came to hate the business that I built. He said, I worked so hard with my hands. For what? To leave everything for someone else, everything I've earned. And he was, another translation said, I'm leaving it to my son. And he said, who can tell whether my successor will be wise like me or like his mama? He said, I don't. <laughs> he said, yet they will control everything that I have gained by my skill and my hard work. He said, how meaningless. Now, here's what the church will do. The church will over-exaggerate this. And they'll say, marriage is meaningless, money is meaningless, status is meaningless, vacation is meaningless. Don't, now all that matters is King Jesus. That's not true. It wasn't meaningless because it was meaningless was meaningless because Jesus was not the Lord of Solomon's life. It's the Lordship of God that brings meaning into raising my kids. Because I'm not trying to teach my kids not to embarrass me. I'm trying to discover the genius that God placed inside of them and bring it out so that they could fulfill their destiny here on earth. It's God's hand on their life that brings meaning to it. My marriage is not just two jacked up people trying to not kill each other. It's no, no. We are the image of God here on earth and the world will see how great God is. He said, if you don't have the Lordship of Christ, everything you do, it's not going to have the purpose. If I don't have sonship, here's what will dominate my life. Fear. Because the, the, the spirit of sonship is I don't have anything to worry about. My dad's got me. I said this before. One of the reasons why I was able to invest in so much real estate at a young age is because my dad was my safety net. And I jumped in that safety net for quite a few times. <laughs> dad, I'm going to lose my draws. All right, but this time, you know, you got to make wiser decisions. I will, Dad. <laughs> but when I don't know that, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father. Who are in heaven. Can I tell you how not having Jesus as the father in your life affects your career? You think it's just faith. No, it's your life. Because when I don't have the security of a father, I make one or two mistakes. I either take too much risk 
because fear of missing out is driving me. Or I don't take enough risk because fear of failure is driving me. But the driver is the same, fear. And fear is there because I'm not anchored in the fact that my father has provided for all of my needs. And here's the big one. If I don't have Jesus as a friend in my life, my life will be void of joy. Because you see, it's a friend that doubles your wins and halves your losses. I, it, I told this story last service, and they were more judgmental than this service. I'm hoping, particularly the Flowers Campus, y'all, y'all are not judgmental people, so you're I just tell the way y'all looking at me, y'all just ready to judge. You don't even know what I'm about to say. I can't believe you did that, Pastor. Okay. Um, so during the pandemic, you know, church was shut down, so all of our services were online. Um, I'm telling y'all stuff y'all didn't know. Y'all know them services were pre-recorded, right? Like, no, y'all didn't know that. Y'all thought I can't. No, okay, yeah. So. I mean, we write the message on Monday, Tuesday. We're coming in here. Why? I mean, it, it was amazing. Y'all still got saved. Calm down. But it's like, if it's going to be online, it's going to be perfectly production, all that cuts and all that. So we, we preached it on Tuesday, edited it on Tuesday, and then broadcasted it on Sunday. So my Sunday, I, I preached a message, y'all. I heard it already, okay? So I, some Sundays I watch church online. But not every, see, y'all judging me already. <laughs> so anyway, there was this one Sunday at like 10 a.m. I'm on the golf course, okay? I was playing golf. I was play, bottom line is playing golf on a Sunday, okay? That's where we're getting to. <laughs> y'all so judgmental, people. By the way, y'all, I could be a heathen. I'm like, if, if this is what Sunday with no church is like, I may be going to hell, but this ain't bad. This ain't bad. <laughs> anyway, that's so not true. Anyway, so I'm on the golf course, y'all. And I hit the best shot of my life. Four iron, 204 yards out, uphill. Perfect out to end path. Y'all, three feet from the flag, pin high. Now I got a lot of golfers here. Some of y'all are like, what did that mean? It was a good shot, okay? It was a really good shot. And I mean, I stroked that thing. And I'm like, yeah. And then I went to grab my phone and tell somebody. Then I realized it's Sunday morning. It's 10 a.m. Probably should be in church right now. Man, I can't tell somebody. If you hit the perfect shot and there's nobody there to see it, did it actually ever happen? I actually wrote about it in the book. It's hilarious. I remember just sitting there like, I'm really happy, but I don't have anybody to share it with because they're all judgmental. and, And I promise you I'm not making this up. I just felt in my spirit the Holy Spirit say, Stephen, I saw, and I'm happy. And it was just, you know, just those God moments. And I don't have them a lot. I'm going to tell you, I hear God's voice all the time. But it was just this one. And, they, and for the next four or five minutes, we just had a conversation. And I felt God said, Stephen, you don't think seeing you happy makes me happy. Because you don't understand what friendship is. He says, Stephen, it brings joy to my heart when you're happy. And when there's a smile on your face, there's a smile on my face. Here's the problem. If you don't have a friendship with Jesus, you will be lacking joy in your life. And what happens is because you don't have joy from Jesus, you expect it to come from your wife. And then when it can't come from your wife, you expect it to come from your promotions. And then you expect it to come from your net worth or how you look or whatever it may be. And there is nothing wrong with any of those things except they were not designed by God to be the source of our joy. And the problem is not that my wife can't meet my needs. The problem is my foundation is faulty. And it's going to affect every area of my life. Last thing is this. Write this down. Your foundation affects everything. That's two. Three is this. It's time to build again. I don't know if you're in a storm, out of a storm, going into a storm. 
But I do know it's time to build our lives in a way that can survive anything and maximize all that God has for us. Luke 14, 27 says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, yeah, I want you to be a Christian. I want you to follow me. But here's what Jesus said. He said, I want you to know what you're getting yourself into. He said, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Here's what Jesus said. He said, being a Christian is like building a building. And before you get into it, You need to look over the budget. You need to look how much it costs and make a decision. I'm willing to pay that cost because it's worth it. Hey, we we need Jesus to be the Lord of our life. Can I tell you the problem with that? Life can only have one Lord. So it's easy to say, I want God to lead me. The difficulty is in order for God to lead me, I... I've got to stop leading me. You ever got in an argument with your GPS? Come on now. You ever push something in and say, hey, take me to point A to point B? And then the GPS, they get off on this exit and say, you're wrong. I don't care if billions of dollars of technology and all these satellites have gone into ways don't matter to me. You ain't from the DMV. You don't know nothing about 295 at 5 o'clock on a Friday. I ain't. Come on now. You may be smart, but I'm from around her. And if you're like me, I disobey my GPS all the time. I turn where I want to turn, and it says, no problem, five minutes added. (laughs) Come on now. You don't get followed one set of directions at a time. The only thing is, if you disobey a GPS, it'll extend your destination. If I don't let Jesus be my Lord, I'll miss. Some people of us are so proud because we're 68 with a million dollar net worth. God is saying, don't you know I put 10 in you? And we're excited about the destination we've gotten ourselves to. God said, that ain't the one I had for you. And you would have enjoyed the one I had for you more than you're enjoying that one. It's all well and good to say, I want God to be my father, but here's the problem with him being my father. I've got to give up my fears. You ever heard the story of the prodigal son? Dad was super wealthy, but he still left. You know why he left? Because he saw something that he thought he was missing out on. And he said, I can't stick around with the father because I'm missing out on life. And God says, you can either lock your eyes on that or lock your eyes on me, but you can't have both. And who wouldn't want to be God's friend? I mean, come on. You're talking about friends in high places? <laughs> That's a friend in the highest place. You sit down in front of the president and be like, I got friends more important than you. <laughs> Here's the problem with God being our friend. In order for him to be our friend, we've got to give up our guilt and our shame. Here's the thing. We don't really believe that God wants to be our friend. He wants to save us. He doesn't want to go, us to go to hell because he's a good God. But, but we know the deepest, darkest thoughts in our heart. And we're like, God would be disgusted if he knew that. We know the mistakes that we've made. God would want nothing to do with me if he knew about that abortion, about that affair, about that divorce, whatever your darkest secret is. Not realizing he knew that before he died for you and still said you're worth it. John 15, 13, he says this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life. That's my Memorial Day verse. Every time I read that verse, I think about the men and women that have laid their lives down for our freedom. God says, I did that for all of humanity. He said, you're my friends if you do whatever I command. In other words, you can't have friendship without lordship. He said, no longer do I want to call you servants, for your servants do not know what his master is doing. He said, but I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father. I have made known to you. Church, it's time to build a life that doesn't have a major setback every time a storm hits. 
that I've got such an anchoring that the winds can't blow me back. Because my life is not built on my intellect, my education, or my friend circle. It's built on Christ, the solid rock. And we're not just friends, but he's my father. He's not just my father, he's my Lord. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that's where faith begins. That's where you're saved. Let me pray for you. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful that we can say, Father God, that we can call you friend. But most importantly, that you're Lord Jesus the one who leads our lives into more than enough. Right where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time, make this message personal to you. Some of you grew up in super legalistic and guilt-ridden church, and God's your Lord. He's just not a friend. Some of you have been through a storm that has shipwrecked your faith. And for some of you, if you'd be honest, you say, hey, I believe in God and I believe in church, but pastor, I've never built my faith the way that you're talking about. Well, today would be an amazing day to take that first step. Say, Jesus, I've led my life. I've done it my way. I've figured out it ain't working. I need you to lead and guide me in all that you have for me. If you're ready to make that decision, you don't have to stand up or walk the aisle. We don't do church that way here. But you can make that decision right where you are. Pray this prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus. Thank you. I believe that you died on the cross. So that all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. No more guilt. No more shame. I'm accepted by you. Today, I give you my life. I make you my Lord. Use me for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on. Can you celebrate for every single person?